Well, good morning, everybody. I always love the first good morning I scare people. Ah, he said good morning. Hey, if you're joining us online, uh, good morning to you guys. If you're in, in, in those of you that are here, good morning to you as well. Uh, excited to be back with you guys. Since the last time I saw you, my family and I drove across the country and came back. We did 6,000 miles in 21 days, and uh, super fun. Got to see some fun things, but it's good to be back with you guys and worshiping this morning. Um, so why don't we all stand up together as we sing.
Father, this morning we sing it out, God. My fear doesn't stand a chance when we worship an amazing God. Father, we worship you this morning. God, we thank you for this time to come and sing, this time to worship you, to learn about you, God, to be together as a church. Father, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen, indeed. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much, uh, Jason and Joy, for leading us in worship. And I'm grateful for the the love of God that never fails, the love of God that is a strong and sure foundation. Grateful to be able to celebrate that today and grateful to see all of you here. Hello, Valleys. I only have to say your name and people start cheering. That's it. Uh, if I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you yet, my name is Matt, and I'm the associate pastor, and I'm grateful to see each and every one of you here, and I'm grateful for everyone that's tuning in on Facebook and YouTube today. Thank you so much for that. A couple of important things I want to share with you before uh, Pastor Gary comes up to continue his message, uh, his series on the Gospel of John. A few things that, that we want to be really consistent about communicating about, and that is the importance of 
connection. It's been so important, especially in recent months, the last year and a half with COVID, the uh, idea of finding connection. And I have to tell you, uh, well, for the first thing I want to tell you about are our, our groups. So right now we have a couple of groups uh, meeting. Pastor Gary has most recently started a a men's group that's meeting on Monday nights, if I'm not mistaken, at his home. And uh, my wife, Carolyn, here, I'm sorry, it's meeting here on Monday nights. And my wife, Carolyn, is about to start a women's group that's going to be starting uh, this Tuesday in our backyard. And uh, so let me tell you, when when I was in Stanford, at Stanford getting uh, treatment, um, I felt really disconnected from all of you. And I thought, well, let's take advantage of some technology like Zoom, and I'm just going to lead a, a men's group from my bedroom. <laughs> and so that's what we did. And, and that, that uh, I'm thankful for the guys that were there every week. It was like a lifeline to me. We need that connection in our lives. Uh, we, it, 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 God has designed you and me to do life together with other people. So I, w- I invite you to, to check out, the, uh, to get involved in a group if you haven't done so yet. And also, uh, a great way to connect is, is by serving. Uh, God is, has given each and every one of you uh, specific gifts and talents to be used for building his kingdom right here in Fairfield. We have opportunities in our children's ministry, opportunities in our worship ministry with a uh, uh, sound multimedia worship band. Um, there's a, a place for you to plug in. And you can find out more about these things. The next thing I want to talk about is our app. If you don't have our SVC app, uh, you can go to uh, uh, the App Store or to Google Play, and you can uh, down, just type in Solano Valley Church, and you can download our app, and you can find out about groups, serving opportunities on there. You can listen to sermons. You can actually you can give on there as well. And so uh, I encourage you to, uh, to check that out. The last thing I want to men, uh, mention, I want to invite my wife Carolyn up here, and I want to invite Jen Prodavinsky up here as well. Jen, would you please join me on stage? Oh, wow. <laughs> and, yeah, so I'll stand over here on this side. I mentioned being uh, gone at the Stanford with uh, cancer treatment, and um, Jen, I just wanted to. There you are. You. I wanted. <laughs> uh, I wanted to take a moment to publicly recognize uh, Jen because uh, I got I got diagnosed in uh, November. We were meeting on Zoom at the time, and I can't remember when we started meeting again in person. The student ministry, that is, I think maybe January. I think. So every Wednesday night, every Wednesday night for six months, Jen was here loving, serving our students each and every week. And I would check in on her. How you doing? I'm fine. I'm fine. And, and, and Jen, I just, uh, and I also want to mention, you know, not just in student ministry, but in worship ministry with doing announcements, uh, greeting. Uh, Jeremy, you've been involved um, in, uh, in our, our security ministry, in our coffee ministry, and we had that, that going as well. And plus, your, your kids just, well, they, they brighten up my life. And, 
and they make they make life good. They make life happy. And we as a church are so blessed to have you and your family here. So um, uh, I just want to say thank you for for loving and serving our, not only our students, but me and and our family as well personally. So uh, so yeah. So we wanted to. Give you those as well as uh, a special gift. And uh, uh, d- does your family like In-N-Out Burger? They do. Okay. Well, you're going to get at least one or two. I don't know how many burgers the boys can eat, but uh, maybe you can get at least a couple of meals out of there. So thank you so much for everything, Jen. Okay. Pastor Gary, it, you can come up now, sir. Thank you, everyone. How's everybody doing today? Good. So um, when I came in, I was talking a little bit with uh, I was talking a little bit with Jason. He said they they drove ten miles ten miles uh, short of six thousand miles. And uh, and this is the way I am. Okay, this is the way I am. Yesterday I went out and rode my bike forty nine miles. I can't stop there. I've got to ride one more and just say I rode 50. And I'm like, if you're 10 short of 5,000 miles, you've got to drive that extra 10 miles. So they drove it this morning on their way to church. So now they've driven 6,000 miles. Okay. All right. All right. Just want to get that out there real quick, real quick. Hey, uh, real quick, you know, the last year and a half has been challenging in many respects with regards to COVID, uh, other issues in our nation. And uh, it seems like things change from day to day, week to week, month to month. And a lot of this is because we're still learning things about COVID, things we didn't know before. So as a church, uh, in all things, we want to be guided by Scripture, okay? We want to be guided by Scripture. But the Scripture doesn't always speak to everything in our lives. For example, it does not tell me I have to drive my car on the right side of the road. But wisdom tells me if I don't drive on the right side of the road... It's not going to be pleasant for me, and it's not going to be pleasant for other people. So first and foremost, in all things, we always want to be guided by Scripture. Secondly, we do. We want to be guided by wisdom. Uh, we, want to be dis- we want to be guided by love and concern for others. Okay? So rather than me being guided by, let's say, my own personal selfishness, my family does a lot better. My marriage is a lot stronger when we're guided by love and concern for the other person. So we want to be guided, and this is very scriptural. So we want to be guided by scripture, wisdom, love, and concern for others. We want to be guided by humility, not pride. Uh, We want to be guided by things like uh, faith instead of fear or doubt. And then we want to be guided in our church. We want to be guided by the mission of our church. And our mission as a church is making disciples. And this is the main thing that we're about. We're about inviting, we're about following Jesus, becoming more like him, and we're about inviting other people to follow Jesus with us. Uh, as of late June, our nation was averaging only 11,000 new COVID infections a day, and things were on the upswing. As of yesterday, uh, we are averaging 100,000 new COVID infections every day, 100,000. So it's gone up about ninefold in a little over 30 days. Now, part of this is due to the Delta variant. The Delta variant is very, very aggressive, very, very contagious, more contagious than the original. 
Um, in the case of those who have been vaccinated, so for example, I've been vaccinated. I know many of you have been vaccinated. I have friends of mine who've been vaccinated. By the way, uh, I got this this last week. I got this from Rich Friedrich, who is a Kaiser doctor, and this comes from the Kaiser system, and they're pretty trustworthy on things of medicine. If you have been vaccinated against COVID, the likelihood that you will get sick and the likelihood that you will need hospitalization is zero point zero zero one percent. Now, think of it this way. What if you had a lottery ticket that you were ninety nine point nine 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 percent sure that you would win with? I will buy that ticket. Okay. So the chances of anybody who has been vaccinated getting seriously ill and needing hospitalization is very, very low. But you can still get COVID even if you've been vaccinated. So I have a a good friend of mine who is back in Arkansas. He's He's from California, just like we are. But he was back in Arkansas same time we were. And uh, he had been vaccinated, and he got the Delta variant. He didn't know that he had it. Uh, He thought he had a head cold. That's what he thought he, he had. Uh, went to the doctor, said, nope, you've got COVID, you got the Delta variant, and, uh, you know, we, we encourage you to be very, very cautious who you're around, all that kind of good stuff. So even though he's really good friends with me, really good friends with Matt, he waited, he's waiting longer to see Matt than he is me. He doesn't care if I get sick, okay? Uh, but he was more concerned with something with Matt. So the thing is, is that because of the new uh, Delta variant and because of the increase in uh, the likelihood of people being infected and infecting someone who might be more uh, more uh, at risk than we are, uh, what the CDC and what Solana County Health are asking us to do, this is not a mandate. What they're doing is they're asking us to wear masks for all indoor public activity. Uh, it's not necessary for outdoor activity. If there's a little bit of a breeze, the likelihood of spreading COVID is very, very low. But they are asking that all people, vaccinated, unvaccinated, to wear a mask for all indoor public activity where you cannot maintain a distance of at least six feet. So just in case you're wondering, Steve got out a little measuring stick and measured the point of where the stand was to where the front row is, and it was 12 feet. So I moved it up one foot. Just kidding. Uh, I'm, well, I did, but I wasn't trying to be difficult, Steve. But but what we're trying to do is all we're trying to do is put others first. We're trying to be concer- concerned for, for other people. So um, so what should we do? What should we do? Uh, I put this question to my wife, Joy, and the reason I put it to her is because I think my wife is very, very wise. Uh, I think she has a really, really solid walk with Jesus, and she doesn't tend to react very much. So I put it to my wife. I, I also put it to Matt who is our uh, our associate pastor. And in Matt's case, Matt cannot yet receive the vaccine because of his recent uh, struggle with myelofibrosis and with his bone marrow transplant. So it's still going to be a little bit longer before he's able to get the shot. So he's a little bit more at risk, actually quite a bit more at risk than most of us, okay? So I put the question to Matt as our associate pastor, not because of those conditions, but because, again, I think Matt has a really strong walk with Jesus, I think he's wise. I think he's a really good man. And then I put the question to our elders, okay? I put it to Steve Acord. I put it to Eric Clausen. And I put it to Rich Friedrich, who's one of our elders, but also a trained medical doctor. And I got a unanimous answer. What we want to do is we want to wear masks when we are uh, indoors publicly with other people, okay? 
that we want to do that, and our primary purpose in doing this is not because we're walking in fear, but because we're walking by faith and trying to walk in wisdom. We don't want to do anything that would inadvertently infect another person. If I had it and I was, what do you call it, asymptomatic, uh, then what I'm doing is to protect other people. It's not primarily about me. So what we're asking you to do is we're asking you uh, to also consider wearing your mask when you're in public with people and you can't maintain that distance. So that's what we're doing in our, our public indoor activities like worship services, Bible studies, things of that nature. Um, and, um, and so we'd like to encourage you to do the same. Again, I want to be careful. I want you to understand this is not a mandate. This is not a mandate. It's just a, it's just a simple, polite request. Uh, to think about others more than self. That's all it is. And so what you, uh, what you do is between you and God, but that's, that's what we're doing. And I kind of want to So if you came today, you don't have a mask, there's not a mask police, okay? So don't freak out about it. Uh, we're not going to follow you home, all right? Uh, and uh, so, but, but just, this is just something that we're trying to do as a way of being considerate uh, of other people. Uh, that being said... Um, let me, um, I'd like you, if you have your Bible, I'd like to encourage you to pull out your Bible. I'd like to encourage you to open up to John chapter 8. We're going to begin in verse uh, 31 today in John chapter 8. Uh, before I launch into my message, real quick, just if you are here with us for the first time, we have been working our way through the gospel of John. I'm not trying to hit every single verse, but what I am trying to do is I'm trying to hit some of the major themes in the gospel of John. And I'm trying to, uh, for us to, to, to show us how it applies to our everyday lives. Uh, in John chapters 5, uh, really through chapter, I'm going to say chapter 10, what we see is we see a lot of intense conflict between Jesus and between uh, those who oppose him, his enemies. And uh, in, in, in this conflict, it gets, intense, uh, it gets increasingly more and more intense. And repeatedly in, in John 5, 6, and 7, uh, it, it says that those who were against Jesus were seeking opportunity to kill him. So this was not just a simple disagreement, but uh, these, this was something that was very, very intense. So that's a little bit of the context today. Uh, this week while I was studying through John 8 and I was preparing for this message, uh, I've wrestled with this question. What are the things that enslave us? What are the things that enslave us? Now, I know some of you might think, well, I've never been a slave. I'm not enslaved to anything. What are the things that enslave us? And so I, 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 I Googled it. I, I Googled the question, what are the things that enslave us? And I came across an article, what enslaves us that we won't give up? What enslaves us that we won't give up? Um, I, I came across this article. It was written by a gal. Her name is Michelle Martin. She writes for uh, NPR. And in her article, and this was dated about nine years ago, but in her article, she mused about her disappointment that Thomas Jefferson could be the principal author of the Declaration of Independence, which is all about freedom. How could he be the principal author and yet still own 600 slaves? Now, slave owners go 
Thomas Jefferson was a kind and compassionate slave owner. Uh, But he was still a slave owner. And this was something that Michelle Martin was really struggling with. And what's really fascinating, and this to me is what made the article so interesting, is she got away from musing about what he did and started thinking about what she does. She started thinking about herself. She thought, thought, well, how could he be that hypocritical? How could he be writing about freedom while owning slaves? How could he do that? And then she asked herself these questions. What am I willing to overlook? What am I willing to accommodate just so I might be more comfortable? You hear those words? Because she moves away from judging another person You know, it's almost always easier to point out the failures of others than it is to recognize and confess our own. Did you know that? Yeah, a lot of times it's a lot easier to point at the failure of another person than to admit that we're getting it wrong. And and, and so she paused and she posed this question to herself. She said, what am I willing to overlook to accommodate just so I might be more comfortable. And the last sentence of her article was this. And I wonder to what I am enslaved and what or whom it is my duty to set free. See, what happens with a lot of people is that we're so focused on these people and everything they're doing wrong, that sometimes we never examine our own personal lives. So let's go back to this question. What are the things that enslave us? And so what I did is I just made a list. I made a list. I, I made a list. I, I thought, okay, what are some things that people are enslaved to? And I thought, well, addiction and or besetting sin. That's quite, quite common in our world. We see it, you know, in many, many places. That addiction, whether it's to drugs or alcohol or gambling or Sex or shopping or whatever, there are a lot of different kinds of addiction. But an addiction is kind of like being enslaved, a besetting sin. And I thought, well, ignorance and foolishness. I think that ignorance, I think foolishness keeps a lot of people enslaved. I thought of comfort, worldly attachments, possessions. All of these, all of these are things that we can be enslaved by. And I thought of this, the opinion of others. The opinion of others. You know, it's real interesting. I I found myself, as I was talking with you about our decision to wear a mask, I found myself kind of wrestling. I wonder what some people are thinking and feeling right now about me in response to what I'm saying. See, sometimes I'm enslaved to the opinion of others. That sometimes, I'm just going to be really honest with you, sometimes I seek affirmation. From unhealthy people. That's not healthy. It doesn't help me. And quite frankly it doesn't help them either. It doesn't serve anyone. Other things. Fear. Worry. Inner anxiety. I don't know if you've ever felt enslaved to any of those things. But sometimes I have. Sometimes I've been very very afraid about certain things. And for me. I think fear can sometimes feel like a master. Um, other things might be consumer debt. The Bible says that the, the debtor is the slave of, what is it? I can't remember how it goes. Anyway, to whoever they're indebted to, okay? Uh, but consumer debt can feel like slavery. Resentment. Wow. 
resentment. This is really interesting. This last week, uh, I found myself realizing that I was struggling with a lot of resentment towards some so-called spiritual leaders who I think have been saying and doing things that are very damaging to the body of Christ and to our mission in our world. But I found myself struggling with resentment towards these people because of the damage I feel like they're doing to the gospel and to, and to, to Christ's church. Ultimately, they don't, you know, they're not accountable to me. They're accountable to God. God's going to be the one who's going to figure that one out, not me. Uh, toxic religion. Now, I don't know if any of y'all have ever felt this. I have. But toxic religion sometimes enslaves people. And then finally, one thing that enslaves all people, sin. Sin. And today what I want us to do is I want us to look at John chapter 8. And uh, before I dig into this, I'd like to just pause and I'd like to, to lead us in a word of prayer if I can. Okay? God, today... Um, Today, we want to worship you. We want to give you thanks because you are a good God. You are always faithful because you are gracious and you are merciful and you are righteous in all of your judgments. God, today, you are a God who has given us your spirit to, to lead us in truth and you have given us your word to instruct us. Lord, for us today, many of us, we, we feel distracted by a lot of different kinds of things. Maybe it's something that was going on before we left our homes today. Maybe it's some turmoil we're feeling in response to things that have been said this morning. Maybe it's stuff that's going on that we're going to be facing later in the afternoon. But God, sometimes we get distracted. And so, Lord, right now, my prayer is that you would help us to kind of put those things behind us. Help us to humble ourselves and help us to listen to you and what your word says to us. And I pray this in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen. All right. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. The scripture says this. It says, uh, to those Jews who believed in him, Jesus said, real quick here, real quick. When you read through John chapter 8, it feels like a very long argument. Okay. But really, this is not one conversation with one group of people. As you read through it, you begin to recognize that there's more than one group of people present. And it's actually a series of conversations that are woven together because they all have a common theme. And so in this group of people, there were some who did not believe in Jesus, who rejected him outright, who wanted to kill him. And then there were others who actually believed in Jesus. And in verse 30, it says, even, uh, even as he spoke, many believed in him. Then verse 31, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Uh, Jesus is saying here that if you hold to his teaching, if you... Uh, the word here, the Greek word is, is meno. It means to, it can be translated as to hold to, or more often it's translated as abide, or to remain in, or to continue in. Okay? And in John chapter 15, Jesus uses this word where he'll say, I am the true vine, and my father's the vine dresser. And, and he says that every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch of me that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. And then in verse 4, he says, 
Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. And what Jesus is talking about when he talks about if you continue in my word, he's talking about not just sitting under preaching or teaching on a Sunday morning and not just simply opening your Bible and reading it in the morning once a day. But he's talking about actually living by what he teaches. If we continue in his teaching, Jesus said, you are truly my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, some of the Jews there with him, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. We're Abraham's descendants. We've never been, uh, we've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Now, real quick here, real quick here. When you're reading this and they say, we've never been enslaved to anyone, immediately in your mind you should be thinking, well, wait a second. Weren't you slaves for 400 years to Egypt? Oh, wait a second. In 722 B.C., the Assyrians went raging through the northern part of Israel and carried them away into captivity. They put these like fish hooks through their jaws and led them into captivity. It was a brutal, vicious kind of captivity. Um, then after that, a few years after that, uh, about 100 years after that, uh, the Babylonians came and they carried them away into captivity. Then there there were Persians, and then there were the Greeks. And then after the Greeks, there were more Greeks because they divided up into four different kingdoms. And then after that, oh, there were the Romans that they were under at that time. This is something we call denial. When people are seriously out of touch with what's really going on, denial. Hey, truth is not an opinion. Truth is what corresponds to reality. Truth is not a preference. Truth is what corresponds to reality. Denial is when we live in a place that's completely out of touch with reality. But the kind of slavery Jesus is about to speak to them isn't about Rome. It's not about Egypt or any of the others. Jesus replied, verse 34, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Now, those words kind of blow past us, and sometimes we, we may not really fully follow what he's saying there. What do you mean uh, that, that a slave has no permanent place uh, in the family, but the son does? And if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Uh, this is an allusion to, first of all, in Roman slavery, oftentimes uh, the slaves were considered, it was very, very different from the slavery that we had here in America. Quite often, those who were slaves in the household were considered part of the household. They were considered like extended family. They had a serving role but they were considered a part of the larger family structure. However, they had no permanent place. At any time, they could be sold to another person. Uh, in Jewish culture, in Hebrew culture, a slave, a slave was basically like a bondservant. It would be simple, similar to indentured servanthood, uh, what was practiced here in America in the 1700s, uh, mostly by 
white Europeans who came to America as indentured servants. They would work for a time frame, six, seven years. At the end of that time, they would learn a trade, like how to be a silversmith or a blacksmith or whatever, uh, and then they would be granted their freedom. Okay? It was their way of earning their way to America. Uh, and so uh, in Jewish culture, it was somewhat like that. You would be a slave for six years, and in the seventh year, you were set free. You did not have a permanent place in, in the family. And so Jesus says, now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son, son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. By the way, when a son growing up in the family reached adulthood, guess what he could do? Free the slaves. That was his right. That was his prerogative. And, and so what Jesus is saying is, hey, by the way, I'm the son. And I'm the son that sets you free. And what I set you free from is I set you free from sin. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Verse 37, I know that you're Abraham's descendants. You're physically descendants of Abraham. Yet you are looking for a way to kill me. Because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I've seen uh, in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your Father. Now pay attention to that. Jesus is talking about his Father, and he's talking to them about their Father. Now they're descendants of Abraham, and that's where they look to for their identity. Uh, Verse 39, they say to Jesus, somewhat offended, Abraham is our father. Then Jesus says, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do what Abraham did. What did Abraham do? Well, when you read the story of Abraham in in Genesis chapter 15, what the Bible tells us that Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And Abraham believed God and he believed God and he believed God. Now, there were times where his faith failed, but he always continued to believe again. And so Abraham believed God. And this is something that these Jews were not doing. Um, Jesus said, uh, if you are Abraham's children, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me, uh, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. Now, you see that? He's talking to him again about their father. At this, the Jews get a little bit more incensed, and they said, we are not illegitimate children. Literally, we were not born of sexual immorality. Now, many of these people would have known that Joseph was not the biological father of Jesus, but his stepson. And what they're saying about Jesus right here is very insulting. We are not illegitimate children. We were not born of sexual immorality. The only father we have is God himself. And Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. I have not come on my own, but God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. That they were unwilling to accept the teaching of Jesus. They were unable. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there's no truth in him. 
When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and a father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? Very, very interesting. I'm sorry. My my mind, I just kind of, all of a sudden, my mind went back to the very beginning story of John chapter 8. At the beginning of John chapter 8, we read the story of how a woman is caught in the act of adultery. Now, you know what it means to be caught in the act? Okay, it means it's not a PG-13 movie. She's caught in the act. Okay? That that there is... um, their children present. <laughs> so I'll just say they were caught in the act. They bring the woman, not the man, to Jesus. They said, our law says we should stone this woman. What do you say? And what Jesus does in that moment, he says, um, initially he stoops down and he begins to write in the sand, in the dust. And they press him. Our law says we should stone this woman. What do you say? And... Uh, Jesus stands and he says to the people, let him who's without sin cast the first stone. And what the scripture tells us in John chapter 8 is one by one, each of the people began to leave. And finally, what Jesus does is he says to the woman, who condemns you? And she says, no one, Lord. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. Now, Jesus does not defend her actions, but he does defend her person. It's very interesting as Jesus says to them at the beginning of John chapter 8, let him who's without sin cast the first stone. But now he's inviting them to examine him. He's inviting them in verse 46 by saying, can any of you prove me guilty of sin? Uh, 47, for whoever belongs to God, hears what God says. The reason that you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. The Jews answered Jesus, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? They use a racial epithet, calling him a Samaritan. And then after they use a racial slur, they accuse him of being possessed by a demon, the one who's the son of God. Jesus says, I am not possessed by a demon, but I honor my father. And you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself. But there is one who does seek it. And he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, Now we know that you're demon possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? And Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim is God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I do not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Now, interesting statement. Abraham saw my day and was glad. Now, you know, the Jews, you know, they they can do math. 
They can do basic math because Abraham would have lived about 2,000 years before this, all right? And they can do basic math, and they are able to uh, decipher, you're not yet 50 years old. Abraham lived 2,000 years ago. You're not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus answers, and he says this, Very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus himself slipping away, slipped away from the, the temple grounds. Very, very quickly, Jesus says, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, I've talked to you about this a little bit before. If you've been here on Sunday mornings, you know that when Jesus says, I am, that the Greek phrase there is ego eimi. Okay? Like, let go of my ego and eimi. Okay? Like a person. All right? It's ego eimi. That Greek phrase in the Septuagint, the Septuagint was a version of the Old Testament scriptures written in Greek, translated in Alexandria by, by 70 scholars, hence called the Septuagint, 70. And, and um, it would have been the version of the Bible that Greek-speaking Jews would have used at that time. And so when Jesus says, ego me," this is the exact phrase that God uses when God speaks to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, God comes to, to Moses and says, Hey, I want you to lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. And, 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 and Moses says, Well, wait a second. If I go to these people and say they need to come with me, and they ask me, What God is this that sent me? What should I say? And he says, Ego eni, I am. I am who I am has sent you. So what Jesus is saying in this phrase, very clearly, in the mind of every first century Jew, meant one and only one thing. Jesus was claiming to be Yahweh, God Almighty. He is claiming to be the one who created the heavens and the earth and all that they contain. He is claiming not just that he was around when, Je- when Abraham was. He says, I am, meaning I already was. And always will be. That, 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 that what Jesus is saying here is that he is the fullness of God. So what do the Jews do? They pick up stones to stone him. Because that's what you do to a blasphemer. You stone him. Um, a lot of things we could focus on here today. Uh, I just want to share with you six thoughts, if I can Six thoughts, and then we'll close this out with worship. Only those who continue in Christ's teachings are true disciples. Okay? Six takeaways. Only those who continue in Christ's teachings are true disciples. Back in verse 31, uh, Jesus says this. He says, um, if you hold to my teaching, you are really, truly my disciples. That the true disciples are those who don't just simply attend church on a weekly basis. They're not those who just read their Bible, but they are those who continue in Christ's teachings. Now, what Jesus is saying here, he's not saying that they perfectly obey him in all things. But he is saying that they continue in him. They never give up following him. They never give up believing in him. They never give up obeying him. They do not obey perfectly. 
They do not always believe perfectly and do all things perfectly, but they do it continually. They continue. From beginning to end, they continue to follow Jesus. Number two, the only way to freedom is through continuing in, holding to, and abiding in Christ's teaching. That, that if you want true freedom in your life, there is a way. There is a way. And it comes from, from continuing in the teachings of Jesus. It comes from holding to and abiding in Christ's teachings. That as we continue in, as we abide in, as we remain in, as we persevere in, uh, in following Jesus in his teachings, then we can know true freedom. Number three, the great enemy of truth is denial about the true condition of our souls. That sometimes people will say, um, I'm not a slave to sin. Or they will say, well, this really isn't sin. They will find a way to excuse what they're doing. They will try to find a way to deny that they really have a problem. This isn't just something that alcoholics do. This isn't just something that drug addicts do. This is something that humanity does. It's what we all do, you know. You know, I don't know if you've ever been caught doing something and you say, I didn't do that. That's kind of the way people are. We want to deny it. And just instead of saying, you know what, you're right. You're right. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Um, uh, that the great enemy of truth is denial about the true condition of our souls. <laughs> Number four, when people are in denial about the true condition of their souls, they will do anything to silence Jesus. Do you know that? They will. When people are in denial about the true condition of their souls, they will do anything to silence Jesus. They will do anything to silence truth. In this text, they were prepared to kill Jesus. And people will look for every excuse they can to deny truth when they don't like being faced with it. They will. It's just part of our humanity. Number five, when people remain steadfast and unyielding to the truth of Jesus, they reveal that their true, they reveal their true character and who their real father is. And their real father isn't Abraham, and their real father isn't God. Their real father is the devil. Finally, <clears throat> I'm going to go ahead and ask the worship team to come on up, okay? Six takeaway from this text is that true freedom begins with the choice to follow Jesus as the great I am. You know, this, um, this text has a very, very... Um, it, this text has kind of a, a, a dark tenor to it. You know, in the end... The people aren't responding to the truth, uh, and they're not uh, embracing Jesus. In fact, they're ready to stone him, to kill him. But I believe for each of us, there's always that uh, opportunity we have to accept Jesus as the great I am. To accept Jesus as uh, the God of the Old Testament Scriptures. To accept him to acknowledge our sin, 
and to begin to follow him and be free. And, and my belief is we don't have to respond the way the Jews responded here in verse 59. We don't have to pick up stones. We don't have to be defensive. We don't have to find a way to talk our way around what God wants us to do and wanting us to follow Jesus. I think we, we have this opportunity to humble ourselves and to follow him. And so what I'd like to encourage you to do is um, I know in a church like this, most of the times we, we, we just kind of assume that everybody here is a Christian or we assume that everybody here is following Jesus. But the reality is, is that oftentimes we kind of get off track in following Jesus. Or sometimes people show up to church and they go to church and they believe all the right stuff, but they don't ever really get to that place of true belief in Jesus. And so if you've not yet made that decision to follow Jesus, or if you're one of those people uh, like me uh, on many occasions who's gotten off track and you want to get back on track, I'd like to give you the opportunity to do that today, to yield your heart, your mind, your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And, um, and it, it can just be a simple prayer. God, I've sinned against you. I ask you to change me, change my heart, change my life. I can't do it, but you can. Um, I'm going to close this out here in prayer in just a second. But if that is something y'all would, anybody here would like to talk to me more about, I'll be more than willing uh, to talk to you before you leave today. Or if you want to call me, you can email me, whatever. I'd, I'd love to make that happen. Let's pray. God, you are good. You are faithful. Uh, you are awesome. Uh, you are sovereign over all of your creation. Uh, you are righteous in all of your judgments. And you, you are full of grace and mercy. Today, Lord, I just pray that you would help us to continue in Christ's teaching. And Lord, for anyone here today who's not yet a follower of Jesus and who wants to follow him, my prayer is that you would work in his life or her life, his heart or her heart. For those who are here who are followers of Jesus but maybe have gotten off track, maybe... Uh, maybe they've been struggling with some resentment like I struggled with this last week, or maybe they've been struggling with something else. Uh, my prayer is that today will be the day that they humble themselves before you and ask you to change them. Uh, God, we pray. Uh, I just I want to commit all this to you in Christ's name and for your glory. Were the words the beginning? One without the Lord now. It is glory in creation. Now revealed in you are
Amen. You guys have a great week. We'll see you next week.